This episode is brought to you by KPMG Risk Services. KPMG believes that when you've earned the trust of all your stakeholders, that's when your business has a solid platform to grow. That's the trusted imperative. KPMG Risk Services develop and put in place dynamic risk strategies designed to help your business earn that all-important trust. Go to read.kpmg.us slash trust to learn more. Hey, this is Randy Gage, and you're listening to the Power Prosperity Podcast. Hey, what's up, podcast peeps? Randy Gage here. And let me start with a reminder, a gentle reminder. Some of you all need to subscribe on iTunes or Stitcher or Spotify or uh, Apple Podcast, whatever your favorite uh, routine is, so you never miss an episode. And speaking of that, there's an episode today you don't want to miss. This is another one of those uh, long-form conversations with someone that... Uh, uh, some of you will know, and some of you will discover for the first time today, where I try to bring in people that uh, have really done some cool things, have manifested prosperity in different ways, and I think hold good lessons for you on how you can manifest your own prosperity. So this person is the author of a lot of books, I mean, a lot. Uh, the producer and creator of a documentary, which I actually made a very special guest star appearance in. <laughs> uh, she has written one, co-written with her partner in crime a lot. Most of these books and doc and everything uh, are with her partner, Richard Fenton. Uh, they've written one of the most recommended sales books of all time. Um, go for no, uh, and does a lot of work in selling and overcoming rejection, overcoming failure, uh, but I think has a, a message that's pretty broad-based for everybody on, on how we overcome challenges. So uh, it's my pleasure to welcome Andrea Waltz. Uh, or actually, Andrea, what's the what's the better way? How are we going by? Andrea or Andrea? <laughs> you, you know, there are the, all, yeah, there are I'm so saying. many. There are so many yeah. ways to say it. it. Andrea. Andrea is the is the way. All right. So Andrea Waltz, uh, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much, Randy. I am so excited to be here with you today. Yeah, so I met Andrea was... How many years ago with that when you did the documentary? It's been 10 years. This is like practically the 10 year anniversary right right now where I uh, tracked you down. I hunted you down at an NSA convention and and corralled you into a hotel room so that we could get you in the movie. Yeah. And what's the exact title of that doc? So that is titled Yes is the Destination, No is How You Get There. Right, right. That's it. So, yeah. and what they did, her and Richard just went around and interviewed all kind of people uh, on how you get past rejection, how you, uh, and like I said, I, I don't think it's just a sales, obviously you have a big following in, in salespeople and direct selling, uh, but I think 
that message, and maybe that's where we should begin. I, I, what I think you've done is you've gone past the cliches and the tropes because mm-hmm. that's just such a, I mean, you go back to the sales training in the 50s and the 60s and the 70s. And that's, it's just a trope, you know, oh man, I can't wait to get another no. Cause when I get every 15 no's I get, the next one is a yes. And I love no's and I'm going to jump up and down and that's stupid. And, um, you know, <laughs> you, you really kind of put this concept in a way that I think uh, is bigger than that. And it really does speak to people and, provide value. How, how do you do that? How well, do you- yeah, yeah. Well, first of all, I mean, I, and I appreciate that. And that was, I have to say this, and I love that you brought that up because I remember when I was talking you into being in the movie and you, that was your big objection. And I said, no, 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 no. It's, I promise you it's grand. It's a grander vision. It's, it's bigger than that. And I appreciate the kind of um, you know, push back on that because you're right. We don't want to have this be, you know, it is a, um, a cliche. And it's funny because Larry Winget, who I know is a really good friend of yours, he, he says, uh, you know, this every no gets you closer. Yes. He goes, some cliches are cliches for a reason and because they, they tend to work right. Statistically. Right. Um, but yeah, it is bigger. And, and the message really is about not letting no hold you back from whatever goal, dream, or thing you want to pursue, because we all are going to fail along the way. We're all going to hear no. And you have to um, find it within yourself to get beyond it. And if you can figure out ways to use it and value it, and um, it is kind of some Jedi mindset trickery, uh, that it can actually propel you forward. I, I truly believe that. Yeah. And any thoughts on it? I just did recently, I spoke at a success summit, uh, all day thing, you know, where there's like six or eight of us speakers. Mm-hmm. And I was looking for uh, some new, fresh way to open up my, uh, uh, or, you know, my, was really a, a seminar segment. And so I just went to my uh, LinkedIn account and copied five messages that I got that day because mm-hmm. uh, I'm on LinkedIn. I don't really work in the corporate market, right? That's not mm-hmm. my mm-hmm. thing. But anyway, I, you know, Ford sakes told me years ago, hey, you got to have a profile on LinkedIn. And so I've been on there for a long time and I just, Every you know, I post my blog on there or my podcast every time I put up mm-hmm. one, and then there's always a connection requests. I get five to eight a day, unless let's, let's say I have a new book that's out. Sometimes I'll get forty a day, fifty a day, uh, and I just I click to see them all. I make sure none of my stalkers is on the list because <laughs> I have an issue with stalkers, <laughs> and then I uh, click you know accept all. And then instantly there has to be some autoresponder thing on LinkedIn. Mm-hmm. You know, instantly I get, you know, 40%. Oh, thanks for the connection request. What I do is I help companies like yours. Bah, 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 bah. Mm-hmm. You know, when can we get together? I'd love to have a chat with you. And it's like, so what I started my, my speech with 
reading those five of them. I picked five or six and you know, the audience was kind of squirming very mm-hmm. audience, probably, you know, maybe some, one of the ones was somebody who was sitting there, right? <laughs> right. You know, they checked me out before the event and sent, right. Whatever. So, and, and, but, you know, I was making the point that they got to see that, you know, all, because it was like five or six, I read, they all were like cookie cutter template, very ego driven, started off with feature, feature, feature. Here's what I do in my company, blah, blah, blah. Like mm-hmm. I care. I don't even know these people. And right mm-hmm, away they mm-hmm. start with telling me all these features about their company. Um, and then pretending to care about me and what I would want. And, mm-hmm. you know, here, and here's a link. If you want to schedule a chance for us to have a chat. And um, So how do people really provide value and, and be aggressive and be a marketer without being a jerk like that, without being that right. guy or that girl, that, that gal that just, you right. know, what's your thoughts on that? Well, you know, I mean, this is probably one of the biggest issues because from a sales standpoint, nobody wants to be that aggressive salesy salesperson that we all hate. And, and it's funny because you see it in real life. Like one of my favorite stories is how uh, I, I remember being in a car dealership once and the car salesman was like, what can I do to get you into this car today? And it, I said, you'd have to change the make and the model. So I mean, <laughs> what kind of question is that? Like, are you insane? You know what? I mean, talk about aggressive. And I always like to joke with people that the go for yes salesperson is that salesperson who's like, I'm going to get a yes out of you at any cost, no matter what I have to do. The go for no person is a no is a perfectly acceptable answer. The point is have the courage to ask the question, have the courage to, you know, uh, uh, go there and ask somebody if they want to take a look at your opportunity. Just make, you've got to make that ask. Um, what people do on social media these days, I think because you're not in front, we would never do some of the things that we see people do on social media live in person, right? It would just never fly. It would be so absurd and so ridiculous. So these uh, introductions and I do, I get the same thing you do. I accept a request and then I get someone immediately messaging me back and I just roll my eyes and go like, oh my God, this is terrible. This is so embarrassing. Um, And so it is a challenge to figure out, to take the time and provide a quality interaction and provide value. So the the thing that we struggle with is that in a way, um, sales is a numbers game and yet we don't want to treat people like numbers. And so you have to, as much as the numbers ultimately matter and you have to be talking to enough people, you also have to keep in mind the perception of the person on the other end and that you're dealing with a human and that you can't just come at people with, with these offers. You've got to, you want to get to know them. You want to be like, Hey, I've listened to your blog. I've listened to your podcast. I've read, I read your blog. Um, some of your stuff is great. Love it, you know, and, and build that connection from there. And that is, uh, and listen. And that's how I think we should be using social media as a tool. And unfortunately it does bring out those aggressive salesy salespeople that none of us want to be on the flip side though. You also don't want to be from a sales standpoint, an order taker. 
um, mm -hmm. and, and have people think that, you know, and, and be completely uh, non-aggressive and not even assertive. You've got to be assertive. And how, how would you apply these principles? How, how do you think they apply to somebody who's not a salesperson, but they're mm -hmm. just, they're in the corporate world or they're in the nonprofit world or they run their own business. And, and what are the lessons for them that kind of transcend sales? Yeah, exactly. Uh, and it's funny you'd ask that because I'm actually doing a podcast next month for a guy who has a um, academy for nonprofits. And this uh, concept applies. I mean, it's such a, to me, it's such a life philosophy. And I think that's why I love it, which is in every uh, whatever business, whatever industry, whatever thing that you happen to be doing, you, you're going to ask for things in life. And to the extent that I think what, from a prosperity mindset that you have a amazing life with the things that you want, you have the courage to ask. And so instead of saying, wow, there's, there's this, uh, adorable table at the front of the restaurant with like the flower on the table and, and, you know, then you get walked back to the back of the restaurant and you get <laughs> sat by the water station and, and it's noisy and the servers are walking by and talking and you go like, wow, sure would love to sit at that adorable table in the front window. But you say, eh, it's probably reserved, you know, it's, it's, it's probably taken and you don't ask. And so those choices, I call them go for no moments, happen all the time. And if you want to be increasing your prosperity, I believe that it's in that moment where you say, I would, my life will be better off if I have the courage to ask and get a no, than just to talk myself out of it, assume that I'll get rejected and, you know, go on with my business. So it applies with, with everything. And if you're in the corporate world, if you're, if you have a job and you're asking for a raise or you're trying to convince your spouse <laughs> to do something, you know, mm -hmm. uh, go on some vacation with you. I mean, we're constantly asking, right? Right. Yeah. A lot of it's really, it's re uh, not a lot of it. I, I think it's essence is it's overcoming fear. Mm -hmm. And do you have any, What's like your go-to strategies for, for overcoming fear or your yeah. best practices or, you know, what, what jumps to mind when I ask that? Yeah. Uh, well, I, I think um, I, you're so right. And Richard and I were just talking about this today. I mean, I think so much of it boils down to fear and it's fear of failure, fear of rejection. Um, and for me, one of the tools that has been super helpful, and I don't know if you're familiar with this, but there's a book called The Four Agreements. Yeah, Which, yeah. yeah. Miguel Ruiz, is it? Exactly, exactly. Okay. Don Miguel Ruiz. And that book was life-changing for me. I, I, because by the way, I mean, you know, I, when, when Richard kind of taught Go For No to me, this is like 20 years ago now, um, I was a super people pleaser. I didn't realize it, but I, but I came to understand that I didn't like to hear the word no. And it took me a long time to kind of start practicing this in my life as well. Because to me, I thought, well, if I ask somebody something and they tell me no, then maybe I look aggressive and maybe they won't like me. And I want everyone to love me. <laughs> so I want, I, I, you know, people pleasing to like the nth degree. I'm like a founding charter member and uh, of, of the club. And 
So when I read the four agreements, probably in like 2009 or something, like right around then, maybe even earlier, um, you know, one of the uh, four agreements is to not take things personally. And I think that fear that we have, and it's biologically wired into us to not get, you know, thrown out of the tribe, to not be left foraging alone um, while the rest of the herd continues on. Uh, mm -hmm. So we're fighting our biology. And, yeah. and now here we are in this whole new world and society where those things don't have to happen. Uh, and I love how he talks about in the book about taking things personally, really almost embracing, um, embracing like that other person's journey. And if you can put yourself into their shoes and uh, understand that it, that even when it's about you, it's not about you, then you have such freedom, such more freedom to do those things which are fearful. So I don't know, <laughs> I don't know if I'm answering your question like directly, but my go-to tool is reading that book. Because if you can study that book and really come to a place where you aren't taking things personally, it reduces so much fear. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's definitely, uh, um, it's definitely a personalized thing, you know, a case where people do personalize that. And that's, that's always the downfall with a lot of things, you know, that we mm -hmm. personalize that we just shouldn't, but it's hard, you know, it's, it's a natural thing. Like you say, it, it's, it's almost uh, hardwired in the DNA from the tribal plane days, right? Oh, it totally is. Totally is. I, I'll give you a funny story too. Um, so we wrote, one of the books we wrote was called uh, Million Dollar Year. And this was based on, we went uh, on Art Jonak and, and, Big Al's MLM cruise mm -hmm. for a couple of years and um, loved it. it. Just so much fun. And there were so many lessons on that cruise. And we decided, well, let's like create a fictional fable because that's one of the things that we like to do. So we wrote this book and, um, and hate to admit it, but like to go in and look at my reviews because I'm a people pleaser, remember? <laughs> <laughs> so what are people saying about me? I hope they think I'm fabulous. <laughs> so, so go on, see this one star review and it's like, and it's vicious. It's like, um, uh, you know, this book isn't worth the paper it's printed on. It's just like, this was horrible, blah, blah, blah. So um, and again, this goes back several years and I, I don't recommend authors do this these days, but I thought, and, and I'm getting enlightened now. I'm, I'm, I'm teaching go for no, and I'm really like deep, deep into it. And I'm, I've read the four agreements and I've studied it and I'm applying it. And I said, you know, I totally can appreciate this. Like I embraced this person's rejection and I thought, what is the thing? Like, what's something that I hated? And I, I thought back to the movie Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. Mm -hmm. I don't know if I, I, I so I, I remember that we went to that movie and we walked out. Like I was just so over it at 20 minutes and I'm like, I can't take this. I can't take people flying around and doing karate. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I just, I don't know why. I, and this is like an Academy Award winning movie, right? Yeah, so, yeah. Uh, yeah. So, but I, we walked out and, and so I decided to respond to this person and I said, Hey, you know, I get it. I, I 
I understand it wasn't for you. I said, listen, I, I went to this move, great movie and everybody thought it was wonderful. And we walked out after 20 minutes. So I get it. You know, it's cool. And then, um, and I wasn't expecting anything else after it. And then weirdly, this person wrote a response like a few weeks later and said, I went back. I'm changing my review to, to four stars. I went back, reread the book, and actually, it's pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> so that was not my goal. So I, I'm not telling everyone right, here right. on the podcast that hey, your your goal is to like you know to to talk people out of their rejection. But it's funny what happens and how freeing it is when you just instead of instead of using it to deflate you, you put it back on them and say, you know what, I understand where you're coming from. Yeah, and it's, um, you know, like you, I'm an author who checks my reviews on Amazon, as mm -hmm. I think you just should, whether you're a people person or not, I think there's, but I, you know, I approach my reviews the same way I would my evaluations for a speech. I'm mm -hmm. going to take the top 5% and the bottom 5% and throw them out. Because yeah. the top 5% are the Kool-Aid drinking people who were just in your cult and they love everything you do. You can do, do no wrong. <laughs> right. You just yeah. can't. They just adore you. And, mm -hmm. uh, and I love it and appreciate it, but I recognize it, it, it for what it is. And then there's the 5% who it wouldn't matter what you did. They got a flat tire on the way there. Their mm. spouse was yelling at them before they left. Their dog died two days ago it was just, there was no, you know, and then you look at the middle and that tells you, okay, mm -hmm. how did I really do? Yeah. And, um, I, 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 we've got a mutual friend, of course, good friend of both of us, Bob Berg. Mm -hmm. Um, I remember him writing, um, posting on social media, like, Hey, you know, I need help. I got this guy who did this review of my book and he gave it one star because he said that, you know, some cultish group is using it to recruit their members or something. And so how do I get this off there? Because he, he hasn't even read my book. He doesn't even know what it is, but he's given it one star. Mm -hmm. And my point to him was, dude, forget about those. You know, if, when I, like even my last book is still new. It's only been out a few months. And the last time I looked, there were 23 reviews on Amazon. Mm -hmm. And 23 of them are five stars. And if I look at that, if I'm a customer, I say, oh, this guy's game the system. <laughs> That's got to be his mother, his sister, his brother, his mm. dog, his parakeet, right? You know, you, you just, it's human nature. It's like, I'm okay that, you know, when, when you have one or two reviews like, you know, bad ones, then yeah. first of all, when they're really just haters and trolls, yeah. it, it speaks for itself. And I think thinking mm. people recognize them for what they are. Mm -hmm. um, and then it just makes the other ones look better because then they feel like, okay, these actually are real by real people. And yeah, right. there are some one stars, but man, 80% yeah. of them are five stars. This must be a good book or a good movie or a good plumber or whatever. Right. So I think that's, that's part of it. Yeah, absolutely. It's the, it's the, um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm spacing on the word, but it's the preponderance of the evidence. Yeah. Yeah. The, uh, 
So let's switch gears because I think there's something pretty fascinating that I think people would um, be intrigued about um, was when you were eight years old <laughs> and you called George Lucas. <laughs> oh, yeah. So how did that go? <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> being that I'm not his right-hand woman right now, it didn't pan out the way I wanted <laughs> Um, yeah, it was kind of funny the way that happened. I, we had a, um, VCR, like back in the day, like one of these huge at the, at the time, it was like one of these huge machines and my parents had gotten some like bootleg copy of star Wars. I don't even know how, but, uh, and I would watch that movie constantly. I loved it. Like at seven and eight years old, I just, I, I could probably repeat all of the dialogue as the mm. movie is playing. Um, just loved it. And yeah. I had this fantasy uh, that I wanted to produce movies. I didn't want to act in them, but I wanted to like come up with the idea and help put them together. And, and so I thought this, I could be like this amazing partner to George Lucas. And so I was typing up movie ideas. I had like this crazy <laughs> idea to, to do a movie. I, I, I think it was called, um, ex-Caribbean tiger python. I wanted to combine a tiger and a python like lost in the Amazon. <laughs> it was probably like Alien before Alien came out. So uh, anyway, my- Somebody family, listening right now is gonna steal this you know, concept, I guarantee I, you. Yeah, I, I will sue, I will sue. <laughs> so so um, a family friend was over and, or I don't know, family friend, that's probably too strong. Some person was over at our house and we were talking about my love of Star Wars. And this guy was like, hey, you know, I have the personal, like, I know George Lucas, I have his personal office number. Do you want it? And I said, oh yeah. Yeah, I was like, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and I don't remember if this was summer break or what happened. I think it was summer break. So I had the number for a couple days. I finally muster up the courage to call and I dial the number and the secret his secretary answers the phone, you know, George Lucas's office. And I'm like, hi, is George there? And, <laughs> and, and I, t I tell I this, I tell this story when we speak, because there's a really kind of funny point to all this whole crazy thing. And she says, well, you know, what's this <laughs> regarding? And I'm like, well, you know, I love George's movies and I think I should be his partner and I'd really like to talk to him about this and she said oh she goes I have a great idea for you if you want to follow George's George's work uh he has a fan club and I'm going to help you get signed up so I realized right then and of course I, I wasn't the uh if, if I had any skills as a salesperson whatsoever I might have tried to you know push past this objection this this <laughs> this stall that I was getting from the gatekeeper, right? Uh, and so I, I just kind of said, oh, okay, well, yeah, sign me up. And, and uh, that was the end of it. Now, the crazy thing about this story is a few years ago, I was talking to my mom about this and we were laughing and I said, do you, I said, isn't that so funny that I called the office and that all that? And she goes, yeah. She goes, do you remember what happened when you hung up the phone? And I said, no, what are you talking about? And she goes, Andrea, you hung up the phone and you threw the biggest screaming, crying fit. You were on the floor. You were <laughs> freaking out. She goes, I had to slap you across the face just to calm you down. She goes, it, she goes, it was ridiculous. And I said, really? I don't, I must've blocked that out. Like I literally blocked that out, that yeah. painful moment <laughs> of rejection. So I think, 
I mean, talk about go for no moment, right? I mean, I, 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 I did it and yet I did let that, I, not only did I give up, right? I didn't pursue it, but I really, I mean, I apparently took that rejection really hard. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, especially based on what your career turned out to be. And you believe it, right? And I think it's all tied in. I think deep down, I'm, I'm still like trying to get over that horrible psychological moment. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I, my, my goal is to teach everyone in the world to, to go for no so that I can somehow repair the damage that was done. Yeah, that's funny. Yeah. So how does somebody doing the books and documentaries that you do also create a paranormal fiction book series. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, and so clearly Richard and I are, because we did the movie, which was, a, which was kind of like my way of finally getting a movie made. <laughs> Just do it myself and do it on flip video. Um, so people listening to this don't, you know, sometimes it can't be done the way you want it to be done, but you can still do it. Uh, yeah, the, the paranormal book series happened because we just love writing and we just love writing fiction. So we created this crazy, it ended up being 10 books, 2000 pages, um, that we took basically almost like a sabbatical. I mean, we wrote it over three years and it's a very complex, twisted paranormal suspense, but we actually kind of layer in some personal development. And I say that because our main, one of our main characters who is a ghost named Onyx Webb, she happens to be a ghost, she happens to be dead and she would do anything to be alive again and get to experience all that people living experience. And throughout the book, we actually have her kind of come to hate people who are living, who don't appreciate it. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting because uh, my next or next next book is I'm planning to do a sci-fi trilogy. And one of the things I'm uh, toying with is the idea of, of weaving in uh, the personal growth, self-development stuff uh, into, you know, it's kind of the underlying part of the story. I think that's awesome. I think that's great. And, you know, you, with the way that you craft your characters, you can put them in situations where, you know, they have to apply some of the lessons and they can think some of the things, right, that you like to teach. Um, I think it's, I think it's super cool. I think that's an awesome idea. Yeah, I'm, uh, I thought it was probably going to be this. Uh, I actually just sent in my 13th book about a week ago and I'm starting my 14th book, which I thought wow. was going to be the sci-fi trilogy. And instead it's going to be a, a non-fiction trilogy. Mm -hmm. um, oh. So I don't know. I just was kind of cooking around what was going to be the next one. And, uh, and I was writing some blog posts about murdering myself, you know, the old version of me. And, mm. I, and I just thought, you know, I need to, I need to put this into a book. And as I started looking at concepts, I was coming up with three different books. And then I was like, you know what? This is going to be the trilogy I'm supposed to write next. And so that's what I'm in the middle of right now. So it's kind of fun. And 
uh, Stephen Pressfield, you know, uh, he's actually was going to be on the podcast last week. And then he had uh, his girlfriend broke her wrist and uh, the day we were going to record, so we didn't get to do it. But he's another guy who's kind of like you and me that, mm-hmm. you know, he does these non-figure. I mean, he wrote The Legend of Bagger Vance, which was made into right. a movie. And, yes. you know, and then he's... Um, and he's got Gates of Fire and all these amazing fiction books. And then he's among writers, he's just a god because oh, he wrote The yeah. War of Art and you know, a bunch of books like that. And now he's got a like a suspense thriller, is his newest book that's out uh, right now. And so he's kind of dealing with the the issue of um you know what what you know what how does your market perceive you you know how do they because you probably have a whole different audience for the paranormal books than you do the the go for no books well i okay so this is good this is so let me teach you a couple lessons here that i've learned (laughs) (laughs) and and i will warn you these are cautionary tales this is is not good this is not this is not a success story coming um (laughs) uh so yeah we so in our minds and i think it's true for some people and it was not true so much for go for no people love us for go for no and go for no is a fable and it's got a supernatural twist in it because we're obsessed with kind of supernatural stuff um probably mm-hmm. ever since we saw the sixth sense I, I i absolutely love that movie and so um anytime that i can was amazing that it was, was such amazing. a great movie yeah so anytime that i can write something that you know, is it surprises people or whatever. I like to do that. So here we come out with Onyx Web and it's this, we decide to do this just epic kind of crazy masterpiece. And we think, well, you know, not all of our fans, you know, all of our followers, I should say, will will like this, but certainly some of them. And seriously, there it was like, like crickets, like absolutely not. I mean, just no one who who was a follower of ours had any interest. And so we really learned a, a big lesson and we actually ended up, oh my God, we spent so much time and money um, read. We actually ended up redoing the books and changed to a pen name. Um, which we should have done from the beginning. And I remember being kind of warned about that because we had gone to some book conferences and and learned some things and and people were, you know, talking about pen names and, and how, you know, like erotica became this big thing for a while, right? And people Mm -hmm. were writing all this erotica and they were like, you know, you want to, if you want to write that stuff, write it, but maybe do a pen name. And so we were thinking, well, no, I mean, we, we're known for kind of interesting, you know, interesting books. And certainly some of the people that like go for no read paranormal or suspense or thrillers or whatever. No. So yeah, our pen name is now a combination of Richard and Andrea and it's Deandra Archer. That is our yeah, pen name. Yeah, I saw that. I saw that. 
Yeah, so so that was a hard lesson to learn. Uh, and it's not that you can't, it's not that you shouldn't do it. And I think it's not that you can't share it with your followers. But the other thing that happens literally on Amazon, not to get too technical here, but, you know, things kind of get mixed. And if it's a really true straight fiction book, which Onyx Web is, it's kind of like it muddies up the waters of who should be buying your books. Um, so yeah, there's, there's all kinds of, uh, uh, learnings and lessons between writing nonfiction and fiction, but I think someone like a Stephen Pressfield and perhaps yourself, you know, can get away with it without having to do that. We just, we learned we couldn't. Well, I don't know that we could because uh, Stephen has already shared that he's kind of perplexed with uh, how does he handle this? And even, you know, in my case, I started off doing marketing training, right? So my and, and direct selling, leverage sales, that was my sweet spot because I was in the business, I was successful. So my first book was in that, my first seminars and all of that. And then I had my midlife crisis, you know, right on schedule at 40. And I said, that's mm-hmm. it, I'm gonna retire. I'm gonna mm-hmm. you know, race vipers and play mm-hmm. softball and drink out of a coconut. And that made me crazy. And then I came back into the business based on a lunch that I ate with Bill Gove. And he told me I had to get back on the platform. Mm. Bill was such a grandfatherly figure to me who I loved and adored so much. So uh, I followed his advice. But I thought, if I'm going to come back, I want to do the work that I'm really excited about, which is the prosperity stuff, the principles of prosperity. Yeah. And so I did that. And... Of course, the people who are in direct selling, they like the prosperity stuff because they're all about mindset. But the people who are just looking for the prosperity stuff, they don't want anything to do with direct selling. They're like, why mm. is this Amway? Why are you sneaking this in here? You know? mm-hmm. And so I learned, you know, I really need to run two parallel tracks. So I had a what I call my Starfleet command site for prosperity, which would be randygage.com. And then I have prosperity factory and some other URLs feeding it. And then I have another one, which is leverage sales.com. And that's just a total different, you know, parallel mm-hmm. track, but just with the leverage sales stuff. And um, I really, and I have two different mailing lists, two different newsletters, two mm-hmm. different e-zines, everything separate. And uh, it will be interesting if I do this uh, sci-fi trilogy, you know, how I would do that if I just, uh, because, you know, there are people who love my work that would want to support it. And, and like you went through people who would probably say, what in the world is this? (laughs) Right. Yeah. So it's, uh, you know, the guy who's done well also is Ryan holiday because, um, I think there's lessons from him because I've read all of his books. Um, and and it, I mean, the one was about, um, tr- I think the one that first one I read was trust me, I'm lying. Yes. And it was all about just marketing stuff, marketing techniques. And then he wrote one on like a book on how to be a perennial bestseller. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and then he discovered stoicism, stoicism. and mm-hmm. you know wrote that first book and now he's done a trilogy on stoicism and, and this last one the he's he's going to kill me because i can't remember the name but the something about 
the still be the still the still oh yeah 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 um he was gracious enough to send me a, an advanced copy so I, you know i could read it before it came out and uh it's amazing it's his best book and and, oh, wow. and all three of his the, the trilogy is doing really well so you know he seems to have navigated that pretty well i think mm-hmm yeah, I mean, I I guess it's just one of these things where you when you set up expectations and you know you become known as uh, and this really I mean talk about prosperity mindset I think you have to as a creator as Seth Godin would say you know focus on the creations that you want to make and you can't let what people's perceptions of you are going to be to hold you back because. I mean, this is our one time on this great planet. And if you, if you believe in sharing certain messages and you want to do certain things, yeah, you're going to have some pushback. Yeah. And that's, uh, I've been always strong on that almost to my detriment, like, cause I've had publishers who say, well, why are you writing this book? Because your market is, and I'm like, I write my books for me. Okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Every book I write, I'm writing for me. Okay, because that is how I organize my thoughts. I write books that I want to read <laughs> about things I want to learn. And by writing the book myself, it makes me learn it exquisitely. And right. They're like, okay, but are you going to buy 20,000 copies of them? <laughs> because we want this to be a bestseller. And, you know, if you just write it, and I'm like, hey, all my books I write for myself. And everyone's been a bestseller so far. So mm-hmm. I don't think, you know, like when I did Risky is a New Safe, that was a big departure for me. Yeah, that was a great book. Yeah, Mad Genius was a big departure for me. Mm-hmm. But they both did really well. They both killed it, you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I, I do believe in that when you're really, I mean, I don't want to give advice for you guys listening. Don't just because I actually have an author apprentice uh program that I do where I'm helping people write books, you know, that's a one-year program. And um, one of the things I question them is you you do need a platform. I mean, Mm -hmm. when you send a book proposal in today, they aren't looking at the title, the concept, the mark, you know, they're saying, okay, what's your platform? How many followers do you have on Twitter? How many followers on Instagram? You know, how many people read your blog? Do you have a podcast? Do you have a television show? Do you have a syndicated newspaper column? They want to know because publishers don't know how to sell books. They know how to print books. They don't have a clue how to sell books. Uh, Most authors don't realize if you're going to write a book, you're going to have to be the marketing campaign for that book. Absolutely. I have have conversations with people weekly on this uh, because one of the books that we wrote recently is called Million Dollar Book Formula. And it's everything that we have learned over the last 20 years self-publishing. Right. And you're, you're completely right. Um, people are always like, I want to find a publisher. I want to find a publisher. And I always say, you realize you're going, you, you better be prepared to do all the work. You're not going to hand in a manuscript and have the publisher publish it. And you're going to just, the checks are going to roll in. <laughs> not how it works. Yeah. People don't realize how much this comes into play. I mean, when uh, I get a call from uh, CNN, and they, they're looking for a guest on a show, you know, to, on a news topic that they want an expert and they'd call me. Mm-hmm. And the producer's always saying, hey, do you have any other clips of, you know, of you on TV? So I, I literally built a media section on my webpage of mm-hmm. 
me on TV, me on radio, me on podcasts, me in print magazines, me in news, because if they're newspaper editors, they want to see, have you done other newspapers? If they're a TV show, they want to see how do you do on camera, right? It's very incestual. It's very, uh, you know, nobody wants to be the first, right? They're all right. for to make the safe decision. Yeah. Uh, I remember we got a call from a magazine in, in LA, one of those free weeklies that uh, and they were like, hey, we want to do a thing on prosperity. And we're thinking about doing interviewing you and mm. you would be the cover. So uh, but we're also thinking about this uh, person who was a, a lady, another speaker who's an author and a speaker. Um, and we want to know why should we pick you instead of her? Because you were pitched to us by your PR agency. And, you know, we're thinking about you, but we want to know why you. So I immediately went to Clout. That was back when Clout still was doing mm-hmm, Clout scores. Mm-hmm. And I looked at her Clout score and it was like 20 points below mine. So I sent the email back. Well, I have 150,000 followers on Twitter. She has 40,000. I have, this, you know, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Facebook. Here's my YouTube channel. Here's my Clout score. Here's her Clout score. And, you know, two minutes later, I got a, okay, great. You're the guy. Um, <laughs> That's and publishers especially. There, people don't realize you know ninety nine percent books lose money. It's only they make so much money on the Harry Potters and the you know the breakout ones that it covers the ninety nine percent that all lose money. That's exactly right. <laughs> yep. Yep. Yeah, but anyway, so you guys listening, build your platform. And it can't be Facebook or Twitter or somewhere like that because you don't own that. It can take it away from you. The thing I'm always telling entrepreneurs is you got to have a way to contact your tribe, right? And a platform that you own. So whether it's your podcast, your email list, your mobile app, you know, you've got to be able to connect with the people who like your work. Yep. There's probably not, that is probably the singular best piece of advice. If somebody said, what's one piece of advice, like in all of entrepreneurship and marketing, that would be it. Yeah. Like my, my authors in this program, I've got them already priming the pump. Like, okay, so great. You got that chapter. Let's, you know, get some excerpts from that on social media. Let's get, you know, let's get you on you know, let's make some blog posts about that. Let's build your blog subscriber base. And, you know, because when you, you know, I, I've got them building out their platforms as they're writing the book. So when the book is actually out, you're going to have a market to sell it to. And that's mm-hmm. really important. <laughs> yeah. If yep. you want to eat, if you want to <laughs> eat and feed your cat, right? Right. <laughs> So George Lucas was a hero. And who else was, was like a hero for you growing up or, or even a hero today? So yeah, the, probably the next biggest hero. And he ended up in our movie as well. And it was the first personal development book that I ever bought. Um, and, it, and a funny thing, it, it goes back to this whole asking thing that we talked about in the beginning, um, is Jack Canfield. And mm-hmm. he wrote a book with Mark Victor Hansen called The Aladdin Factor. Yeah. 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 Um, and it is, and I, I remember, I think I was still in college. I have a Bachelor of Science in Criminal Justice. I, I was in college, um, which I did absolutely nothing with, by the way. <laughs> so it uh, does no good. Um, 
And I remember seeing it and it was like, I think the subtitle was something like how to get anything in life you want or whatever. And I was like, I need that. <laughs> what is the secret? What is the secret? And the entire book was about having the courage to ask. And it was all about how to ask and where to ask and when to ask. And what if people say no, but what if they say yes? And, and I thought it was just magnificent. And again, this is from somebody who, you know, has this fear of um, the word no, which I had and rejection and all of that. And so, uh, so I read that book, loved it. And then when I met Richard late, a few years later, when in the corporate world, when we were both at LensCrafters and he tells me this go for no kind of philosophy. And I went like, yeah, I, I, I dig that. I love that. And um, it kind of reminded me of Jack's, of Jack's book. And I just love, I, I, he is just a, the kindest person. And we were talking about his book, The Success Principles, just the other day and how simple it is. And you kind of sometimes go like, gosh, it's so simple. Like the success principles, all of them, they're so simple. They're so obvious. And then I, I say, yeah. And until I master all of these <laughs> and I'm actually doing every single one of them, I mean, you, you say they're simple, but are you really doing them? Are you, have you really mastered these things every single day? Do you take responsibility for everything? Right. I mean, it's simple and yet they're profound at the same time. Yeah, and, and Jack is just a good soul. He's just mm -hmm. a good person, right? And I think what he brings to the table that is missing from a lot of the people who are writing books and doing seminars is he's really a student of self-esteem and really an expert in self-esteem. And I think that that really shows through in all of his work. Yeah, def definitely. He is a good soul. That is perfectly said. And um, yeah, I just, I just love him. And, and then, I mean, through social media, and I think it's one of the things that I love, I get all of my, I mean, I read books certainly, but I get so much these days by following so many people. I mean, certainly you're included on that list and Bob Berg. And I mean, there's almost too many to name these days of the kind of thought influencers and the people that are out there that, you know, are sharing interesting things and producing interesting content. And so uh, I just, I am a big consumer of that. And then at the same time, um, it's, you know, sometimes challenging to not overconsume because you yeah. also want to be a creator. Yeah. Yeah. And I have to say, uh, you know, one of the most important tools in my personal and professional development is Twitter. Mm -hmm. And people are like, Oh, Twitter is such a toxic place. And all the, well, that's, you're the one who chooses to follow those people. Right. <laughs> uh, you know, when I did my sabbatical, I, and I guess I'd followed some social marketing guru advice and did an auto follow that if someone followed me, I followed them back. And so mm -hmm. I had like 80,000 people I followed back. Right. And so when I went on sabbatical, I every day unfollowed like a thousand people or was some number, I forget what it was, but over a period of two years, I unfollowed everybody. And now I probably follow like 600 people. Mm -hmm. um, 
And those 600 people, I mean, some of them are just, I like dance and hip hop. So I've got, you know, entertainment people and I like sports and baseball. And so I've got some of those and I like, I'm a political junkie. So I've definitely followed a lot of political people. And then I just have these amazing, brilliant people that I get to read their tweets. And um, so to me, I'm able to curate my self-development and self-awareness program. And Twitter is a huge tool for me to do that because, and it's not negative for me at all. I, you know, I don't have a bunch of trolls and I don't get into arguments with people or whatever. I mean, sometimes I'll send something out and obviously I get retweeted a lot and then some hater or troll will get it and try and engage me in some snarky thing. And, you know, I'm just, I don't, I don't buy into the, fighting and the drama and the, you know, contrived controversy. And so I don't get drawn into that stuff. And so I haven't attracted a bunch of haters and trolls and whatever. And it's a really positive, amazing experience for me. So yeah, um, you know, I love it. I totally agree. It's super positive for me too. And I I do remember though, um, I don't know how you first kind of discovered it. I remember somebody, this is like, gosh, I, well, it's 2009 is I think where, when I joined, so 10 years ago. And I remember hearing something about this new website called Twitter and you can, you know, type in, uh, you know, your status, kind of an update thing. And I thought, oh, this is interesting. So I joined and <laughs> Richard, <laughs> he was like, you're doing what? You're, mm-hmm. you're on Twitter? I was like, yeah, it's really, it's, it's interesting. And, and back in that day, um, I mean, gosh, you like really felt like you knew people because it, it in comparison was this small community, even though it still yeah. had probably yeah. a couple million people. Right? Um, right. But it felt like this small community. And, and I was like, yeah, it's really cool. And, and this and that. And he's like, Oh my God. He's like, just no, no, get on the phone and sell something. <laughs> <laughs> he's like no no you're just wasting your time and I said well we'll see we'll do you know just don't worry about Twitter and and Facebook and all of that I'll, I'll take care of the social media because he is not he is like not on anything he's got he responds to Facebook messages like two years after somebody sends it <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> be like thanks for thinking of me on my birthday two years ago um right, it's right. bad it's bad but yeah, I mean, I, I love it. I, I find it positive as well. I, I, I will say this, I only get da- a little down if I, there's somebody that's really interesting to me that maybe I read an article or something and I go to their Twitter feed to see kind of what they're talking about. And if it is all politics, but the thing that I read that they created was something that was maybe like something about mindset or psychology or something that I was interested in, then I go and, and I, so, I sometimes go like, oh, I'm, I'm disappointed because I don't need that from this person. Right. You know what I mean? So um, that's the only time I get a little bit let down. Totally their prerogative. They can be tweeting about whatever they want. Right. Um, but yeah, it's kind of like, I, I guess I like people to stay in their lane. <laughs> I don't know. That's not fair. But, you know, I like, I, I like if I want politics, I'll, I'll go find it. Yeah, and I'm the same way. And, and I have people who feel that way about me because I do, you know, when we were locking kids in cages at the border, I mean, when you're taking away a three-year-old from its mother, to me, that's a 
that's the equivalent of a war crime. Mm-hmm. That is, that's a crime that somebody in an agency needs to go to the world court for, because the, I just think of, you know, how crazy I was as a kid, how insecure and all of the emotional instability I had. And mm-hmm. if I had been separated from my mother at, you know, and there's cases where they separated someone and deported the parent and kept the kid in custody. I yeah. Mean, how could that happen? To, right. So I, I like can't sleep at night when I read a story about a kid that happened to yeah, so I'll tw- you know I will yeah. tweet some stuff like that, and the people are like, wow, why? okay, just unfollow me, right? Um, but so, and I'm fine with people who, when they're moved by something, I'm not you know like LeBron, just shut up and dribble. I'm not that at all, right, right. But and I do same thing like you. If I see someone is just they're really grinding the axe so then i'm like well you know i love them and their book or their movie or whatever but i don't want this in my feed so i'm gonna unfollow them because right i'm all about what is the stimulation that i'm you know what is we're all being programmed 24 hours a day seven days a week so i want to be mindful of what i'm being programmed with yes and that actually really resonates with me because I know that's something that you've talked about a lot, especially about the, from a prosperity mindset, it's probably the thing that of everything that you've taught that you teach resonates has resonated with me. The most is that idea that (laughs) you're programmed that, uh, and then sometimes we'll go to a movie and, and I'll think about you because the movie will be like at the, in the end, it's like, the cold heartless corporation yeah, that, yeah. you know, goes in and, and then, but the poor people, they, you know, they have the hearts of gold and they're, they're, you know, like held up. And I'm thinking there's like all of these subtle messages. It's like so oh. obvious, you know, and I, you know, for years I keep saying, how could these Hollywood studios, they would make a hundred million dollar movie and then it bombs. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and all they'd have to do is send me the script and, five grand or 10 grand, you yeah. know, whatever. I make up a number. Okay, give me 10, get, every script is sent, send, send me 10 grand. And I can guarantee you whether it'll be a hit or a bomb, mm-hmm. right? Because I can just look for, does it have the underlying program? Money is bad, rich people are evil. Is it spiritual to be poor? You know, all of the tropes that right. are gonna resonate with people. Yeah. And I remember reading, uh, I think it was Variety or the Holiday Reporter, the Hollywood Reporter or whatever. It was a profile about The Rock and um, that, oh, and maybe there's rock fatigue because his movie Skyscraper only made, you know, half a billion dollars in China and the U.S. gate was only 300 million and, you know, the studio was expecting it to do this and, you know, and I'm like, I'm reading and I'm like, no, it's not rock fatigue. It was people it didn't make as much as his movie before that and his movie after that and that's because for me from my viewpoint and you'll Mm -hmm. appreciate this i knew the reason it didn't do as good is because the billionaire who owned the skyscraper that was you know under attack and Mm -hmm. whatever was a good guy who helped the rock (laughs) right in Mm -hmm. other words he sided with the rock and he was fighting the bad guys. And no, I'm Genchi. I'm the only person in the world who had that thought, right? Mm-hmm. There's no one else in the world would think that way except me. 
because I would say, oh, well, if they wanted this movie to make $2 billion, they need the billionaire who owns this, you know, 100-story skyscraper in Kuala Lumpur or wherever it was, has to be the bad guy. Right. Because people don't want to see the billionaire be the good guy. Well, of course, he's got to be evil. He's got to be. <laughs> yeah, doesn't feed their narrative, which is what makes them feel worthy that they can say, well, we may not be rich, but at least we're honest, right? Right, right. You know, that famous quote from the first Spider-Man movie. So, I mean, it's just those tropes, that insidious programming that's underneath. It's just, you know, it's funny you say you think of me when you watch movies. I mean, I have people I date and they're like, I can't even go to the movies with you because you <laughs> analyze everything. I'm like, I can't help it. <laughs> right. You know? Because, well, you know, afterward you stop, you go to have a coffee or whatever. What do you think of that? Right. Wow, did you see how they're portraying rich people in that? And they're like, can't you just enjoy the movie? I mean, it was a love story. You know, but no, I can't because I'm such a critical thinker that, and I'm so, my radar is so strong about the programming that I'm being infected with. Mm-hmm. Because I've really just, you know, I've, I've developed that antenna, that force field around me to protect myself from all these limiting beliefs that the, you know, the data sphere wants to program me with. Right. Absolutely. And, and you don't, and you don't notice it until you start really kind of paying attention. And that's why I, that's why I do think of you often when I'm looking at something and I see it and I go, Oh, Randy would appreciate this. Yeah. Yeah. So what, uh, what books have influenced you the most in your life? Well, let's see. So uh, I talked about the Aladdin factor. I talked about um, the, for agreements. Yeah. Um, gosh, there are, there have been so many. Um, oh, really interesting book. Uh, I'm trying to remember the title. Um, have you ever heard of a guy named Osho? Osho? No. Mm-hmm. Yeah. O-S-H-O. He's written on uh, courage. He writes books on, um, he was kind of a, like, Zen guy from way back. I don't even know his history, um, but I've read a few of his books, and uh, Osho's books are amazing. Um, and they're all kind of. I think all of my favorite books are um, really about uh, mindset and psychology. Um, so mm-hmm. Osho's books, uh, another one of my favorites that has influenced me, and especially from a go for no standpoint, because the whole book is about um, kind of the the necessity of failure and how children need to be taught that failing as part of the learning process is Mindset by Carol Dweck. Okay. Great book. Um, and she goes into a ton of, she's like this very, very super educated researcher talks about how um, kids get programmed to, and and it leads into adulthood, how kids get programmed to uh, just get the grade. They don't care necessarily about learning the material, that it's all about kind of proving no, yourself. It's, it's teaching to the test. Right. That's all it is. It's just teaching to the, the test. No learning happening there at all. It's just 
this, yeah, her book, uh, Mindset, The New Psychology of Success. Mm-hmm. How we can learn to fulfill our potential. Yeah, and so it's really about the, you know, the lessons of failure. And I mean, certainly, listen, failure is, it's painful, it's expensive. I mean, our worst book, which we haven't even talked about, um, was a book uh, about Abraham Lincoln that sold 15 copies. Oh, yes, yes. I remember when you wrote that. Yes. (laughs) That, That book... Definitely one of the worst decisions. But the funny thing about that book is, um, and and I kind of like to joke, I believe in monetizing my failures. So we put a lot of the negative lessons about what we learned about that book in our book, Million Dollar Book Formula, about, hey, you know, we've had books sell, Go For No is our bestseller, um, has sold hundreds of thousands of copies. We have other books that have sold, you know, many, many thousands, and then we sold 15 um, and lost easily 30, 30 grand on that one. Mm-hmm. Super painful. But, you know, I look at, gosh, look at all of the lessons and we won't do, be doing that again anytime soon. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so this mindset book talks about, you know, the fact that it's not, and this is probably one of my favorite lessons is, it's not just about proving yourself. And I think we all kind of have that like idea that success is just about getting like that approval from other people mm-hmm. and getting like the, the, you know, analogy of getting the straight A's, just getting the pat on the head or getting, you know, whatever, and hopefully money, hopefully some kind of financial reward, but that, this whole process of what life is and what makes it interesting and exciting is learning. And that requires that you fail. Um, I will, I will say this as well, that whole crazy thing that we did with Onyx web and taking three years off to, to write it. We asked the question, we said, um, there's a kind of a famous line, which is what would you do if you knew you would not fail? And I, 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 I understand the point of that question, which is, you know, well, gosh, I mean, if I knew I wouldn't fail, well, make me president. I want to be president. That would be super cool, right? I would mm-hmm. like to fly on Air Force One and make some changes. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, uh, I don't, can't promise I would be good on making phone calls. I'm sure I would screw those up too. But, mm-hmm. you know, I, that would be, that's what I would do. So we asked, well, what thing is so worthy that we want to do it badly enough, even if it fails? And we said, that's what Onyx Web is for us. Like it's, we're so passionate about telling this epic story and that we want to write it. And even if it doesn't sell and if it doesn't, you know, blow up and become a Netflix series that is our our dream still, it would still be worth it. And that's Mm -hmm. why we did it because the answer was yes, it's still worth doing. So it's just an interesting way to ask a different question. Yeah, yeah. So one of my favorite questions to ask people is, it's not one of my favorite, it's my favorite one, because I think it's the most insightful responses. What have you changed your mind on recently? Something that maybe you believed for a long time, and then all of a sudden you stopped believing, or something you didn't believe, and now you believe. What uh, Mm. comes to mind when I ask you that? Um, 
Okay, I know exactly how, how I'm going to answer this. I know I know what this is. So I think for a long time, I believed that you could uh, fight your way through something and do it even if it goes against your nature. So if your nature is, say, to be a multitasker, um, then and and you're just like gonna fight and fight against that and make yourself focus and make yourself do one thing at a time. Um, I think I've decided <laughs> recently that I'm done with trying to fight like the things about myself that I know cannot change, that I, I won't change. And what, and, and probably the biggest thing is I look at my wall, like I have, I have all of these books um, framed on our wall, uh, go for no and, and books that we've published for other people and, and all of these things. And part of it is because I just like doing, you know, different things. I, I just, that is, that is what interests me. I don't, I'm not a person who, and I envy people who are, um, who from the age of like 11 decided that they were going to raise Brazilian parrots and that's what they've done <laughs> uh <-huh. laughs> and they love it and they're passionate about it and they teach it to other people and they, they go on safaris to find Brazilian parrots to take photos. And it's like, that's their whole life ever since they were 11. And I go like, that is so cool. I wish that I could have like be this person that just had this singular focus that I didn't want to write paranormal suspense and I didn't want to do all of these things. I don't want to publish books and I don't want to do <laughs> movies. You know, I wish that I could just be focused. And most recently I decided, you know what, you need to design your life and your business for who you are. Like just get super, like stop fighting your nature. Just get super focused and say, this is who I am. So I'm going to design everything I do to fit those parameters instead of always trying to be a person who's focused. Yeah. 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 I think, uh, I love to hear that. I love to hear that. I think, uh, there are, and because of this new book, I've been doing some posts in my blog this week, which for you guys listening will be last week on killing off the old you and transforming your life and what you change. And, but I do think part of it is what you're talking about, the things that you don't change, that you accept. And um, a part of that is you know, the ability to be comfortable in your own skin about certain things. And that's a big part of success, I really believe. I think so too. And I think that, that I love, like, I love the idea of transformation and, and killing off the old you and, and becoming the new you. And the I irony, I think, is if you do accept some things about yourself and you say, this is something that, um, I mean, it is that recovery prayer, right? It's the serenity prayer. It's, mm -hmm. you know, <laughs> the, grant me the wisdom to change the things I can and not change the things I can't and the wisdom to know the difference, right? Yeah. I'm butchering it, but. <laughs> um, and, you got the concept. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and so when you come to that conclusion and you go like, this is who I am and this is probably, I've been trying to change this for 20 years. It's probably not going to change then. How can I leverage this and use this to my advantage um, and have this become like the new me. And and because I do believe in growth and I do believe in transformation. And I think that's so like 
even you talking about the book, I think that sounds really interesting and powerful and is probably, you're probably better able to do that when you just accept some of those parts that are just there, you're fighting an uphill battle. Like the sooner you, sooner you just like love that and go, okay, how do I deal with this part? Yeah, because that's part of like me, like you, like Ryan Holiday, like Stephen Pressfield. I, I loved uh, suspense thrillers, Robert Ludlum and that kind of, and Trebonian when I was growing up and reading those. And so I promised myself I was going to write one of those one day. And when I saw The Matrix and Star Wars and Star mm-hmm. Trek, and I just said, okay, I got to write a sci-fi trilogy Mm -hmm. um and i love the other books you know the nonfiction books i write and that's they're both elements of who i am and i don't want to program out part of myself i you know i want to embrace that that uh i love being a renaissance man that you know appreciates uh guns and roses and the opera that you know still plays softball and plays chess that you know that reads and is uh athlete you know that Mm -hmm. there's there's something to be said for that that's for sure i believe yeah yeah all right so what's the where's a good place for somebody to start with you is there a particular book or website or course or movie where if somebody wants to know well, more, start with your work, what, what would you recommend? I say go for no, because that is, that is where I've, I've done my best branding. <laughs> so <laughs> it's, it's gofornow.com. It's at gofornow on Twitter without the number, just with the word for uh, on Facebook, all of it. So if you type in the words go for no, I, at least I've pulled off this. I will come up. I will come up in the first position. <laughs> yeah. So, All right, cool. Any yeah. final thoughts you would tell the people listening who are, they're just prosperity minded people looking to manifest more success and prosperity in their life. Any absolutely absolutely final thoughts with your audience this is like i i love this i'm so excited i can program them to do whatever no i'm just kidding (laughs) (laughs) um well first of all i want to thank you again for having me this is super fun and when i listened to your and lisa's conversation i was like oh my god i I wish i was there like in the room having the conversation with you guys so this, this was great uh yeah my my last final thoughts is just for to encourage that prosperity mindset is to in those moments, in those go for no moments where you are hesitant to make an ask of someone to whether it's a favor or a free cookie at a bakery or whatever, um, Mm -hmm. you know, just, just take a chance and, and make the ask and go for no and see what happens. And you will be shocked and surprised what, people are willing to do and give and all of that when you just have the courage to go for it. So that's my last piece of advice is keep that in mind at all times. You practice it like a muscle and it will get stronger. Well, thank you for sharing that. Thank you for taking the time to be on. I uh, love the conversation. I think there's a lot of great insights for people listening. 
So thank you yeah. for making the time. You guys listening, thanks for being on. As always, please rate, share the podcast. Uh, go out and be amazing. Peace. Hey, thanks for listening to the Power Prosperity Podcast. Do me a favor and practice the circulation law of prosperity and tell people about Prosperity TV. So if you would, just put something up on your Tumblr, your Twitter, your Facebook, your YouTube. Uh, let people know what you think of the Power Prosperity Podcast. Even take a screenshot of your phone and maybe post that picture uh, so we can build the community here at the podcast. Thanks, guys.